As folks are shuffling out, I'll ask you to find Luke chapter 12 in your Bibles, or in the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. Luke chapter 12. As you're looking for Luke chapter 12, we have been studying Proverbs at the beginning of the year. That's been our tradition for a couple of years now until we work our way through the book. Um, and then we've kind of taken a break for some special services, and I was away last Sunday. And then this Sunday is the memorial service, so I wanted to preach a passage that uh, pertained to memorial service. And I've been in Luke 12 recently in my devotional time, my personal time in the Bible, and I've just found so much rich truth in Luke 12. So Luke 12 has found its way into uh, the devotion that I gave for our first board meeting this year. Uh, it's found its way into lots of different different uh, areas of teaching for me. And I really felt like the Lord led me to Luke 12, verses 13 through 34 for this morning. And I trust his guidance with that. And I'd like for us to, as another expression of trust in him, to turn to him in prayer before we start to listen to his word. Would you bow with me? Father, you promised that your word would not go forth without accomplishing its purposes. And so I trust in that this morning, and we trust in that, that you will accomplish your purposes in our hearts. There are some of us who are coming to this passage carrying heavy burdens, some who are very weary and tired. There are some who come to this passage with unrepentant sin in their lives, who know it but are, have been stubborn, ignoring the conviction of your Holy Spirit. There are some listening to this that are in a prosperous time in their lives when everything is good, and perhaps because of that, they've been distracted from you. There are some who are here are keenly aware of their need to hear from you this morning, and some who aren't. And for all of us, with all of our complicated life situations, all of our nuanced hearts, Lord, we come to you, and we look to you now, and we ask you to take over. Let, we want you to set the agenda now. We want to sit at your feet and learn and hear from you. So, Lord, please speak to us clearly. Please speak to us gently. And may your will be done in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Luke 12, 13 through 34, uh, it includes one section of Jesus' teaching that you're probably maybe only mildly familiar with, and then another section that if you've been at church for a long time, you're probably very familiar with. And we're going to look at the whole thing. It's a big passage, but I'm really just going to highlight three lessons from this passage. Uh, if I had thought of a title in time to put it on the slide, it would have been Three lessons about life in light of death. Three lessons about life in light of death. You know, my wife Meredith recently went to the, to the eye doctor and got contacts, and I see many of you are wearing glasses. And You know that through certain lenses, certain prescriptions, you can see everything much more clearly. And there's many different lenses that you can put on to look at your life and try to understand your life. And one way to do that, one lens is to look at life through your own mortality. And I think that when we'll look at life through the lens of mortality, the fact that we are all going to die or Jesus is going to return, 
The fact that this earthly life as we know it is comparatively brief compared to eternity. That is a powerful lens that can quickly clarify a lot of the issues in our lives. So we're going to look at life through those lenses. Psalm 90.12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So my prayer is that we'll get a heart of wisdom here during this memorial service when we, as we prepare our hearts to remember and honor and recognize the, the uh, value of the four lives that we're going to recognize that were lost last year, that we'll look at our life with much more wisdom. So the first of these three lessons about life in light of death is simple. Life is about more than stuff. Life is about more than stuff. Verses 13 through 15 open our passage, and it begins with uh, an inheritance dispute. Someone in the crowd around Jesus is frustrated because his brother is not going to split the inheritance with them, and they hope Jesus will weigh in on it. There's this crushing crowd around Jesus. Somebody shouts out about his personal inheritance issue. And this was important, I'm sure, because... The matter of an inheritance back then could have been a matter of life and death. It probably was not just a wealthy guy uh, just looking for a little bit of more money. This was important to him. And so our passage begins with an inheritance dispute. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter, arbitrator over you? And he said to them, now to the whole crowd, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus is, is in the midst of this crowd. If someone shouts out a specific issue that he wants Jesus to weigh in on, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus just dismisses it. Man, who made me a judge over you? But then he turns not just to the man, but to the whole crowd and addresses what he senses is the heart issue behind that request. And I guess the heart issue among many in the crowd, which is covetousness. Now, Jesus does this often. The things that are most important to us that we bring to him, frustratingly so, are often not the things that are most important to him. So we may come to him with um, a marital issue or a midlife crisis issue or some desire in our heart, and it may seem like he's just saying, man, who made me judge over that? That is not my concern right now. Instead, look at this heart issue. This is what you need to be thinking about. So here he brushes aside the inheritance matter and says, don't worry about that. Worry about covetousness. Covetousness. The heart problem here is covetousness in verse 15. He says to the crowd, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So the Greek word for covetousness there is another one of these double words, two words put together. It's the word for more and the word for have. Stuck together. So covetousness is just more having. More and have. I want more. I want to have more. That's what covetousness is. This is one of the many aspects of our fallen nature that trips us up in this life. Where there should be gratitude, often there's covetousness. 
Where there should be contentment, often there's covetousness. Where there should be generosity, often there's covetousness. And this is an example of how we're messed up from sin. We're not supposed to be like that. More having is not supposed to be such a priority for us, but it is. And Jesus wants to address it. The lie of covetousness in verse 15 is that your life consists of the abundance of your things, the abundance of your possessions, the abundance of stuff. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, Jesus is a good teacher, and he proceeds with a little story, a parable. And I'll read that parable to you, and it'll shed light on exactly the problem that Jesus is addressing here. Starting at verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here we have a a man who is already pretty prosperous, pretty successful, lives a comfortable life, and receives an unexpected windfall. His crops produce abundantly. Okay, for us, modern day, not many of us are farmers in here. Uh, You get an unexpectedly huge tax return or some big insurance payout or an unexpected bonus from work or unexpected commission. You You already had enough and now you just got a lot more. What will you do with the additional, the extra? This man had a problem because his extra was a physically large amount of stuff. It was crops and produce. So his solution was to increase his storage capacity, which is often our solution too. When we, when we get a raise or we get some increase in income, we don't stay at the same standard of living and use that generously. Usually we'll increase our storage capacity. We'll increase our bank accounts. We'll increase our retirement contributions. Uh, we'll, we'll improve the model of our car or the model of our phone or we'll add on that addition to the house. We, we swell. We swell bigger, bigger, bigger with our possessions. It's just part of our human nature. And that's what this guy does. And to a certain extent, I think that's understandable. It doesn't seem like he's done anything that bad, really. And yet God rebukes him and says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So what is the problem here? Was it wrong that he had a good year? Was it wrong that he was successful? Was it wrong that he had barns? Or some of you who might have a barn on your property getting, getting a little edgy right now. Does Jesus have something against barns? No, the problem is this. The problem is having no higher purpose for your stuff than yourself and no higher purpose for yourself than your stuff. The central problem of covetousness that Jesus is revealing in the hearts of those around him is having no higher purpose for your stuff than yourself and having no higher purpose for yourself than your stuff. Believing the lie that your life consists in the abundance of your possessions. 
There's a man named Randy Alcorn, and he wrote a book called The Treasure Principle, and it's a really good book. We had a copy in the book exchange library, and I looked for it, and it's not there, so somebody must have borrowed it, which is great. I love if anybody borrows books from there. But he has a quote that I think helps illustrate this. He wrote, Every time, I mean, every item we buy is one more thing to think about, talk about, clean, repair, rearrange, fret over, and replace when it goes bad. Let's say I get a television for free. Now what? I hook up the antenna or subscribe to a cable service. I buy a new VCR or DVD player. I rent movies. I get surround sound sound speakers. I buy a recliner so I can watch my programs in comfort. This all costs money, but it also takes large amounts of time, energy, and attention. The time I devote to my TV and its accessories means less time for communicating with my family, reading the word, praying, opening our home, or ministering to the needy. So what's the true cost of my free television? Our stuff has this gravitational pull. And the heavier our stuff gets in terms of how nice it is, how valuable it is to us, the stronger that gravitational pull into, until we are just orbiting around our stuff for the rest of our lives. And then when it comes time that our soul is required of us, Jesus returns, or we approach the end of our life, we realize how foolish we've been. We've made our life about our stuff. So the first lesson about life in light of death, according to Jesus' teaching, life is about more than stuff. The second lesson Life is about more than survival. Life is about more than stuff. Life is about more than survival. So initially, Jesus is addressing just one man in the crowd. This man has an inheritance issue, and Jesus dismisses it. And then he's addressing the whole crowd, a crushing group of people all around him. And that's when he does his teaching about covetousness. Now, in verse 22, he turns to his disciples So let's just picture his disciples are close by. Now he's talking to his disciples, his followers. Verse 22, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So he just told the crowd, don't get wrapped up in all your abundance of stuff. And now he turns to his disciples, who, if you will remember, had left everything to follow him. And he says, and you guys, y'all don't have a bunch of possessions, but y'all have a different danger that you might fall into. Don't be anxious about your life, and don't be anxious about what you'll put on and what you'll wear and what you'll eat. They had, they had given up everything. They left their fishing businesses. They left their tax booth to follow Jesus. Imagine that. Just try to get into their, their sandals for a minute. Imagine Jesus comes walking by and calls you to leave your retirement lifestyle and follow him. Jesus comes walking by and and asks you to leave your home that you've worked for years to perfect and to to improve, to follow him. Imagine that he asks you to leave your savings accounts and follow him. And here you are, it's just you, the cloak on your shoulders, and Jesus. And you've just heard him teach this crowd, beware of covetousness, it's always lurking. And you're thinking, well, I'm good. (laughs) I don't have anything. 
I'm not going to get wrapped up in my possessions. It's just this raggedy old cloak anyway. And then Jesus turns to you and says, you, there's something dangerous for you as well. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. See, there's really, he's addressing two ways to be robbed of true life that have to do with possessions and things. Okay, the first way has to do with having. Those who have are in danger of being distracted from God. But then there's another danger, those who do not have. Okay, for those who do not have, the danger is that they will live their life in anxiety and fear. Either path takes you away from life's true meaning, which we'll get to in just a moment. So life is about more than your stuff, but it's also about more than survival. Some of you listening to that first lesson are thinking, well, that's not my problem. I'm just hoping I can afford to pay my bills next week. I'm just hoping I can afford groceries next month. You also need to be aware. You also need to be aware of allowing things and the accumulation of material supplies to grow so large in your mind and your heart that it overshadows God. Each way, each problem has the same antidote. Each poison has the same antidote. Embracing the fact that life is about more than stuff. Life is about more than things. Even needful, necessary things. Life is about more than having enough food, having shelter. Life is about more than these things. Remember back in verse 15, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Why? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then, here we are working into verse 23, He tells the disciples in verse 22, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll put on. Why? For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Life is more than these concerns. There's so much more to be thinking about than these concerns. Now, I have preached this passage a couple of times, and I would just like to read verse 24 through 29, and just let Jesus' words speak for themselves And then we'll pick back our focus study on verse 30. But listen to verses 24 through 29. So he tells his disciples, don't be anxious about food and clothing. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. You know, we as Christians are different from non-Christians in many ways. Okay, when we become a Christian, things are different for us. One of the ways in which things are different is that before we became Christians, we were like orphans without parents to watch after us. We were on our own in the world. But once we became Christians, we were adopted 
And God is now our Father. And yet we, we bring a lot of our orphan fears with us into this new household. And we have to learn how to live with a loving Father now. The fact is, as Christians, you are God's, looked at by God as his sons. He cares for you. He loves you. You're infinitely more valuable than the birds in the field and the lilies out in the field, which he cares for too. And we can trust him. When we get distracted or anxious about stuff and survival, we're living just like the world. You know, we live in a culture now where uh, they, the, the culture outside of the church is so confused morally and so confused about matters of family and societal structure, so confused. And that moral disparity between the world and us feels so stark sometimes. But that's not the only difference between us. There should also be a difference in what we fear. The world, the scariest thing is not having food or clothes. Okay, but we know the fear of the Lord. We know we have an awesome God. We don't need to be afraid of the same things that we used to have to be afraid of. I've told you before, as Christians, we're not only saved from something, we're saved to something. We're not only saved from our sins, we're saved into a living relationship with the God of the universe as our Father. So life isn't about stuff, and life isn't about survival. So what is life about? Well, there's different ways to answer that question, but the way Jesus answers it here, I think, is most pertinent today. Life is about seeking the kingdom of God. Life is about seeking the kingdom of God. Verse 31 starts with this one word, instead. So everything we've said before is one path you can go. You can live your life to accumulate possessions, or you can live your life to just not die, to have food and clothes. But that's not what life is about. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Now, the all these things that will be added to you seems to me to be the life necessities. I don't think he's saying, seek first the kingdom of God and you'll have Huge barns filled with awesome stuff. He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God. You have a father that knows what you need, and he's caring for you, so just trust him for those things. You focus on this. Seek the kingdom of God. Live for the kingdom of God. Instead of increasing your storage capacity, instead of just trying to not die, there's something to live for. The kingdom of God is a, is a fuzzy idea for many of us. And there's something mysterious about it, and I don't know that we'll fully understand it until Christ returns and we see our king. And It is a mysterious thing. But we do know something about the kingdom of God. One Bible dictionary says, The heart of Jesus' teachings center around the theme of the kingdom of God. This expression is found in 61 separate sayings in the Synoptic Gospels. Counting parallels to these passages, the expression occurs over 85 times. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. Very simply put, the kingdom of God is simply God's rule and God's reign. A theologian, Millard Erickson, wrote, The kingdom of God is found wherever God's will is done. We're not only saved from sin, we're saved into citizenship in a whole new society. We're saved into citizenship under the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God himself. 
And as citizens of this kingdom, of God's kingdom, there are certain ways we are to live. There are expectations of how we are to live. We seek his kingdom personally as we learn to live as citizens in this new kingdom with a good king who's valiant and mighty and has already conquered the foe. We seek his kingdom globally when we try to bring others into citizenship under this good king through making disciples of all nations. But Jesus gives us a very specific way of seeking the kingdom here in our passage in verses 32 and 33. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where there is no thief, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. I want to share with you another quote from Randy Alcorn from that book. He wrote, Abundance isn't God's provision for me to live in luxury. It's his provision for me to help others live. God entrusts me with his money not to build my kingdom on earth, but to build his kingdom in heaven. The act of giving is a vivid reminder that it's all about God and not about us. It's saying, I am not the point. He is the point. He does not exist for me. I exist for him. God's money has a higher purpose than my affluence. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. Giving affirms Christ's lordship. It dethrones me and it exalts him. So one very specific, very practical, very central way to seek the kingdom and to truly live, to truly live according to what life is meant to be about is simply to let go of our stuff and be generous and to give. And in the process, death and the return of Christ become welcome realities, not rude interruptions to our affluence. Our final verse, verse 34, says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the last one I promise, but I want to read one more quote from Alcorn's book. He who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. To him, death is loss. He who lays up treasures in heaven looks forward to eternity. He's moving daily toward his treasures. To him, death is gain. He who spends his life moving away from his treasures has reason to despair. He who spends his life moving toward his treasures has reason to rejoice. We get so confused about what this life is supposed to be. This world is sending so many confusing messages. Praise God that Jesus gives us clarity here. Life's not about stuff. It's not even just about survival. It's about seeking the kingdom of God. After we pray, we're going to recognize four people who are important to us who passed away last year. In your bulletin, there's a quote from Rick Warren. And I have found that quote to be true as a pastor who has been with people as they've approached the end of their lives and with families as they have loved ones who approach the end of their lives. And I don't actually have my bulletin right here in front of me, but you can look at that quote. It says something to the effect of, uh, 
as we approach the end of our lives, we don't want to surround ourselves with our stuff. We want to surround ourselves with the people that we have relationships with, with the people who are important to us. And that is absolutely true. I've never talked to someone on their deathbed who had any concern about their stuff. It's never happened. I don't anticipate it ever happening. You know, when we get to that point, when our soul is required of us, it becomes crystal clear how temporary, how temporarily we were able to hold these things that God had given us. He just gives them to us for a short time so that we can use them to build his kingdom. And we have to leave it all behind. Yeah, I think it was at the campground. Somebody said something about having never seen a U-Haul trailer attached to the back of a hearse. I said, I'm going to use that this Sunday because it's true. God and people, those are the only eternal things. We really don't have time to waste on other pursuits. These four people that we're about to recognize were created in God's image, carefully woven together with extreme intentionality and purpose by God himself. And we recognize them as just a very small way of expressing how much their lives meant. Their lives were important. As are every human life, your lives. They're heavy with weight and, and glory and significance and meaning. As all lives are. So as we remember them, in just a few moments, a representative from each family is going to come forward and, and light a candle. It's such a small, small way that expresses so much profound, so many profound feelings for these people. It's such a small thing, but let, let that little candle, that little flame be a reminder of just how small and how quick our lives really are. It goes by fast. And as we remember them, let's remember what life is about. It's about seeking God's kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, please teach us to number our days and thereby be wise. Help us to rise above the tyranny of things. Help us to trust you about our survival. And as we go out of here and we want to live in light of this truth, it's going to get so complicated because there's so many factors it seems like we need to take into account. And what about retirement? What about saving up for unexpected car accidents or what about these things we're frustrated because there's no clean cut rules for this that we have to be walking closely with you to know in each situation what it looks like to seek your kingdom so please we we beg you to not leave us just with this but as we go out into our life this week that you would please work this out into our hearts and into our minds let this be our dna of how we live. Lord, help us to seek your kingdom. Show us what that looks like specifically. Protect us from the distraction of abundance and possessions. Protect us from the anxiety and fear 
that we feel when it seems as though we lack what we need or we might lack what we need. Help us to trust you as our good Father. Thank you for life. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving these individuals we're about to recognize life. Thank you for all the ways through, through them that you've blessed us. And we want to honor their memories now. And in doing so, we want to honor you. Because every good thing that we see in your creation, we recognize is just a, a dim reflection of your goodness. And you are so good. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.